Yo, what's good, everybody? It's your boy, Aaron B. And this is the SLA and Chill Podcast. And we have a special guest on today, and that is Pint Glass Football's own Brad Fallon. We're going to talk about the Dallas Cowboys, the NFC East, and our top three offense and defensive rookies. And I hope y'all enjoyed this episode as much as we did. Peace. Hey, how's it going, Aaron? Excited to be on SLA podcast with you again. Talk some NFL football. Yes, sir. Uh, Today we're going to be doing a breakdown of my Dallas Cowboys, the NFC East, and our top three offensive and defensive rookies. And since you're our special guest today, I'm going to let you go first. Be nice to my Cowboys. They do what they need constructive criticism. (laughs) But I'll let you (laughs) before all yours. Oh, gosh. Well, first off, let me say thanks for having me on again. I really appreciate it uh, for you guys checking out this podcast. My name is Brad Fowler. I'm the host of Pint Glass Football Podcast uh, with my co-host, Chad Smith. We do a weekly football show for you guys. We break down everything from college football, NFL, the NFL draft, <clears throat> uh, fantasy football, betting lines, you name it. We cover it all. So we're definitely excited to be on the show with you again, Aaron, and talk some football with you. And yeah, I'll try to go easy on Dallas, but I'm not going to lie. It's, it's, uh, it is difficult not to beat up on them and this division as a whole. But if you want to start with the Cowboys, I think for me, you look at the Dak injury, and we know that Dak injury was huge, but this team was already sputtering with Dak playing at a really high level. You know, with Dak, Dak was putting up big numbers. He was playing really good before that injury. But the team still wasn't winning. They were in these shootout games. They couldn't stop anybody. And it really comes back to me, the one big flaw for Dallas, and a lot of people have talked about this, obviously, is the defense. The defense has been atrocious. They haven't been able to stop anybody or slow anybody down, even for that matter. And the thing that is really painful for Dallas fans is they bring in this new regime with Mike McCarthy, and Mike McCarthy hired Mike Nolan, uh, a veteran NFL coach who'd been around the league for a really long time, but a guy who never really has panned out anywhere he's been. It was a head-scratching hire for me, Aaron. I didn't understand it when they brought him in. There's been stories about Mike McCarthy brought him in really because they're friends, which, boy, that's just terrible if that's the case. You bring in a guy as a friend instead of making a good business decision to hire somebody, a a young up-and-coming coordinator. And what's really sad is they had one in the building not that long ago, Aaron. So if you look at Dallas, they had a guy named Matt Eberflus. He was a Dallas defensive assistant from 2011 through 2017 with Jason Garrett. And this is a guy who was a linebacker coach, a defensive assistant, 
a young up and coming coach. Well, he went to the Indianapolis Colts in 2018 and became their defensive coordinator. If you look at the Colts right now, they've got one of the best defenses in the entire league. He's been an outstanding hire for the Colts. And this was a guy who was in the Dallas building in their organization for years. And yet Jerry had a blind spot and didn't see how much talent they had in and to promote this guy up to their defensive coordinator. Now they bring in Mike Nolan, like I said, and this guy is a dinosaur. He hasn't been able to turn this defense around. He has a complicated scheme, and it's a scheme that without OTAs, without the preseason, it's been a real struggle to get these guys to figure it out. And when I look at it, if I'm a defensive coordinator and I've got a a complex scheme and you've got players that aren't picking it up, You've got to make adjustments. You've got to simplify it. You've got to t- tinker with it. And you've got to try to play to your player's strengths and change your system up. You can't be rigid and just say, hey, this is my system and try to jam a square peg into a round hole, if you know what I mean. So I think it's been a disaster on the defensive side of the ball. And it also comes back to the draft. Now, they took C.D. Lamb in the first round. And don't get me wrong, C.D. Lamb has been outstanding. He's been one of the best rookie wide receivers in this draft. But when you take a guy like CeeDee Lamb, where they took him in the first round, it was really a luxury pick because Dallas didn't need CeeDee Lamb. They were already loaded at wide receiver. And basically what they did is it's the equivalent of, you know, let's say this rich guy lives up in Colorado, up in the mountains, and he just bought himself his third convertible. And now there's eight feet of snow on the ground and he can't get to work. He should have went and bought the SUV if you get what I'm saying here. So it, they, they screwed up on that draft pick because, like I said, it was a luxury pick. He's been great. Don't get me wrong. It's not like I don't understand the pick in that regard. But they desperately needed defense. And at that spot in the draft, there was so many good defensive players on the board still that could have helped them out. I think looking back now, it's come back to bite them a little bit. But the good news for them, Aaron, is the rest of this division – is equally as bad. We're looking at one of the worst divisions in the history of the NFL. The 2008 NFL, NFC West, I should say, went 22 and 42 with a 344 winning percentage. Right now, the NFC East is 619 and 1 with a 250 winning percentage. They are on pace to be the worst division in the history of the NFL. If you look at it, they have a combined five wins, or excuse me, six wins now. But if you look at the rest of the NFL, so the Seahawks, Steelers, Titans, Ravens, Chiefs, and Bears all have five wins. It's pretty embarrassing to think that there's that many teams that basically have as many wins as your division. So it's it's been a dumpster fire for sure, but I'd love to get your takes on it. I know you're a big Cowboy fan. You follow them closely, but... What uh, what are your thoughts about Dallas and this division right now? Do you have hope for your for your Cowboys, or or is this a throwaway year and it's time to rebuild? In my opinion, this is hard to say. I definitely think it's this needs to be a rebuild year. There's no point of trying to win the NFC East Conference Championship because either one of these teams in our in the, in the NFC East is a one and done. So I rather just be either made the second team and our best team in our conference or whatever, because 
we need to get the draft picks. We need to start making moves. And and, I, and you're correct on, like, Mike Nolan's defense. He's one of them guys, like, strong mind. He's not going to make adjustments. And the the worst thing is just he had, uh, Mike McCarthy added, a, like you were saying, his friend. And that's the thing that that's that relationship's going to – he's going to stick to Mike Nolan like that, like, I can't do that to one of my friends. He was the one that hired me as a coordinator back with the 49ers. And that's a that's a that's a tough thing right there. And just to give a quick breakdown how this defense is this year. They're 30 seconds points per game and and then total yards they're 27th and in passing game they're 18th. But in the rushing they're 31st on second to last and in takeaway they only had 3 this year and they're tied for the 30th. I just and the injuries are keep coming in every week, especially on the offensive line. We're down to one of our starting offensive line for this game against the football team, and that is Connor Williams, who had one really good game against the Giants, but he hasn't been consistent this whole season holding up. And you basically have a bunch of new guys, undrafted rookie, and stuff. So it's, it's definitely a season we should just count this as just you know call to wash. We're gonna play our best football, but we're going to try to rebuild in this offseason. And hopefully, though, in the on the defense, is I, I really wish they could have kept Matt Eberflus. They need a young mind in there, not just somebody I've been knowing for years, and I'm just going to give you a job. It's, that should have never happened. But it, it comes back to the leadership, doesn't it? If you look at it, it really comes back to Jerry Jones being the owner and GM. And I think this has been an ongoing issue for Dallas for a long time now. And I think Jerry at some point is going to have to look in the mirror and realize you're not a GM. And even though they've made some good draft picks here and there, and he's actually done better in the draft in the last three or four years than, than I expected him to do. Cause he's had some really bad ones in the past, but in these last couple of years, he's hit on some draft picks, but clearly this team has some glaring holes and if you look at this team, too, it, why, I want to jump back to the wide receiver issue that we talked about. They're loaded at wide receiver, but they don't have anybody that can stop anyone. They've got glaring holes all over this roster. I think it might be time to look and see, hey, maybe we should trade a Michael Gallup. Here's a guy who's a really good receiver, but you don't need four really good receivers when you don't have playmakers at other positions. And he's coming into a contract here next you're gonna have to pay him soon is what i'm getting at and so he's gonna want big money you've already put big money into zeke and some other players on this roster i think he's a guy that maybe you look at right now and say okay we're not going to do anything like you said they're not going to do anything even if they win the east they're not going to make any noise in the playoffs i think we know that so why don't you trade a guy like michael gallup now and get some draft capital back and start thinking about next year start thinking about the rebuild start thinking about plugging some of the holes in this leaky raft because it has not been good for them. And when you, when you look at the rest of this division, I know you wanted to talk about the rest of this division, Aaron, for me, I look at it and I think Washington, I think they found a coach in Ron Rivera. I think he's going to stabilize things there, but they're clearly in a rebuild and they have issues at quarterback until you have a quarterback in this league. You really don't have anything. So you have, they, they're going to have to find somebody in the draft. This season, they're going to have to make some moves and try to try to get a, a pick there that can start to rebuild that franchise there. They've got some good pieces, especially on that defensive line. They've got a good young wide receiver. 
you know, they've got some things going there in Washington, but they don't have the quarterback position clearly. And Dwayne Haskins looks like he's on his way out there or on his way to the bench. It looks like for the rest of the year. So I don't think he's the guy. So Washington is in full rebuild. The Eagles, I think the Eagles could have been better this year, but they've been a mess with so many injuries it's been mind blowing to watch it. You know, I'm not an Eagles fan by any means, but it's been hard to watch this team because they've had so many injuries at so many different positions. It kind of makes you wonder if they could have been more competitive this year. They got that big come from behind win on Thursday night against the giants. But even watching that game, I I can't help but look at Wentz and think this guy should be better than he is. You know, he's a huge talent. He's got a great arm. He makes these amazing plays from time to time, but he's leading the league in turnovers. He continues to make bad plays, and he continues to hold on to the ball forever and play hero ball. You see him when the offensive line is breaking down around him. He's getting pressure all over him, and he's constantly trying to scramble out of the pocket or scramble away from defenders and tries to, you know, throw the ball up for grabs just way too often. He makes so many bad decisions. I don't really know what to make of Carson Wentz at this point. I, I think the talent is clearly there. You see him make these throws like the one he did to Boston Scott to win the game. Absolutely incredible. But then he makes just as many throws that keep the Eagles out of games. So it, he's one of those guys he's really hard to watch as, as a football fan. I don't know what to make him. I would have thought at this point in his career – he would have been taking some steps forward and clean some of that stuff up. Now, granted, the injuries have been a big part of it, but you can't blame injuries for everything. He's throwing the ball into harm's way way too often for the Eagles, and I just kind of wonder what they've got there. It'll be interesting to see if they start to improve when some of these players come back from injury, but I don't see them really making any noise either. They've still got a lot of holes on their roster as well. But the other team I wanted to touch on, of course, was the New York Giants. And this is a team that easily should have won that game Thursday night, 11-point lead with five minutes to go. They really outplayed the Eagles for the majority of that game. And I like what I'm seeing from Daniel Jones. I know he's got to clean up the turnovers himself, and the fumbles have been an issue, but the pick that he threw early in the game ricocheted off Ingram's hands. Not going to crush him too much for that. And the fumble was late, late in the game when they were trying to rally. and He's trying to make a play. Not going to kill the kid for that too much as well. Now, I know it's funny that he fell on that long run, and that's kind of been the, the joke of the internet the last you know day or so. But you've got to give this kid props because he is really athletic. He throws a great ball. I see development from this team. <clears throat> this is a team that has a young head coach. They didn't have OTAs like everybody else. But when you've got a young staff and a young young coaching staff coming in and you've got the youngest team in the NFL. This is a team that really started out slow, kind of like we expected, but I've seen improvement from New York week in and week out. They're a competitive team. They've been in a lot of these games that they've lost. They've been right there. The Chicago bears game came down to the wire. The, they had the, uh, the game from the Rams. They were right there in that game until late in the game. They played a a very competitive game with Dallas and lost on a last-second field goal, and they had the 11-point lead against the Eagles. This is a team that easily could be with a much better record than they've got, 
but they're young and they're still learning how to win together. But I like what I've seen from them. The one thing that is starting to stand out to me, though, is I think they missed on Andrew Thomas, the left tackle, the number four overall pick out of Georgia. They wanted to get a big left tackle in there to help protect Daniel Jones. And now it's only it's only a few weeks into his career, so I don't want to bury this kid yet. But he's been really bad. He has not looked very good. He's actually allowing the most quarterback pressure of any left tackle in the league right now. So that's a position that they really might have whiffed on and it could hurt their development. But I do like some of their playmakers at receiver. The Saquon Barkley injury obviously was huge. But I like what I've seen from their defense. The defense is a top 12 defense in the NFL right now. Nobody saw that coming. Even the most optimistic Giants fans did not see that coming. They've really made big steps. I like their front four especially. And I just like the direction that they're headed in. So I want to get your takes on the rest of the NFC East. Uh, Yeah, some very solid points and stuff. Yeah. I'm just going to do a quick on the Dallas Cowboys. I was, like, not on to getting rid of Michael Gallup, but when I see an emergence of uh, Cedric Wilson, I'm more confident in saying, yes, they could make that uh, trade for picks and stuff like that because they need the, the players they can because there's players declining and uh, on the on – the, on, the, on retiring, like as a Tyron Smith and this – there's a need for a change on that. And the, on the football team, they definitely need a, a, a find out who the quarterback is, and they definitely need to look in the draft because they don't have any confidence in Haskins. Kyle Allen's not that good. And it's just good to see Alex Smith even be able to walk and, and still have his leg after that horrific injury. And then when you look at the Eagles, they've been rattled with injuries for the past three years. Wentz is one of them, and hopefully he has a healthy season. And, yeah, the Giants, I feel like in a couple of years now, could be the one of the top teams. It's just they're a very young team that definitely is into development. they got a young staff. So this could be a team that is building together at once. It's a young coach staff, a young team. So I think that's – you could definitely see the Giants being that contender in a couple of years as well. That was my my break on them right now. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right for sure. I I think as bad as it's looked, there are some shining spots in this division. But yeah, overall, it's been a rough rough year in the NFC East to say the least. And I think, like you said, whoever comes out of this division is basically going to be a punching bag for whoever they play in the NFL playoffs for sure. So. Be interesting to see. Uh, I think right now the NFC East it has more to do with the future than it does the current scenario. I think that's <clears> – <throat> excuse me. If you're a fan of one of these teams, I think you've got to be thinking future. I think you've got to be thinking, okay, what do we have here? What can we build on? Because, yeah, it's a wash in the NFC East this year for sure. Definitely. Uh, just to give a breakdown of how bad the NFC East is right now, in my little research, um, the NFC is the second worst winter percentage in the in the in the first six weeks. And the fir- the last team that had a worser uh, percentage was the 1984 AFC Central Conference, and they had a point two oh eight 
and we have and they have a we have a point two two nine. So let's give let's give it let's give them a quick synopsis how bad the, the win percentage is right now. Yeah, it's true, and that was thirty six years ago. So when you think about how long it's been since we've seen a division this bad, it's pretty staggering to realize that just how long it's been since we've seen a division with this type of start to the season. And a couple of these wins have only come because these teams have played each other. So when you think about, you know, Dallas or excuse me, uh, yeah, Dallas getting the win over the Giants, the Eagles getting the win over the Giants. Giants getting the win over Washington. A majority of those wins have come into the division. Outside the division, there's there's almost nothing there. So it's it's been it's been mind blowing to see. I don't think anybody saw this division being as bad as it's been. It's been a real dumpster fire, Aaron, for sure. It really is. Uh, the the only wins that I got got right now that have been out of the division is when Dallas beat the Falcons and the Eagles beating the 49ers who are still a good team, but they are beat up as well. So you can see why they got that win. But yeah, like every one of them is just a win against their own in the, in the conference. But yes. Uh, so in our last segment, we're going to talk about our top three offense and defensive rookies of the season so far. So who do you have as your uh, top three offensive rookies? Well, this one's crazy, Aaron, because <clears throat> – when you talked to me about doing this podcast, I started looking into these rookies and I started to want to do a little deeper dive and kind of see who my top three were. This became really difficult, Aaron, because this has been an outstanding rookie class. There has been so many guys who have made an immediate impact through the first several weeks of the season here. Now it was really hard to decide who my top three were going to be. And with saying that, I guess what I'm getting at is there is a lot of guys that could have been on this list. There was probably eight, nine guys that I could have easily argued a case for to be in the top three. So no disrespect to any of those players that didn't make my top three. But I think for me, these were the guys that I think finish in my personal top three. But yeah, there's so many guys that have made such a big impact and it looked like they're going to be stars in this league for a long time. But I'll start at number three. The guy I have at number three is Chase Claypool, the wide receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers. There's guys, there's other receivers right now, rookie receivers like a C.D. Lamb or a Justin Jefferson who might have better numbers than Claypool. But this is a guy who's really starting to come on, and the ceiling for him just looks higher than everybody else. Four touchdowns and he's on pace for over a 1,000 yards receiving, two rushing touchdowns. They get him involved in the running game with jet sweeps, and they're finding all kinds of creative ways to use Chase Claypool. And the reason I say his ceiling is so high is really when you see him on the field, he just stands out from everybody else. 6'4", 238 pounds ran a sub 4-4-40, the only player in NFL history besides Claypool to put up those numbers at that size was Calvin Johnson. And that's why you're starting to hear a lot of these people are, are nicknaming, a lot of his Steeler teammates are nicknaming him Mapletron because he's a Canadian-born player. So they've kind of joked around about it. instead of the Megatron, they're calling him Mapletron. Kind of funny to think about, but this is a guy who 
when you see him, you can see the Calvin Johnson comparisons. Calvin Johnson was an unbelievable player, as we all know, a, a Hall of Fame player for sure. And this guy has those types of playmaking abilities. But what's even crazier is his vertical is five inches higher than Calvin Johnson's was. So he's basically the same size, virtually the same speed, but can high point the ball at five inches higher than Calvin Johnson could. And he really shows that he's got great hands. He just is a nightmare matchup. There's really no defensive backs that can deal with the combination of size and speed. And like I said, there's other guys like Lamb, Jefferson, some other guys that might have better numbers, but it's hard to believe for me, Aaron, that he wouldn't be the first wide receiver taken if they were to redraft today. I think his upside and potential is just through the roof, and the Steelers got an incredible steal in the second round with Chase Claypool. Really, really impressed with what I've seen from him. I think the future is so bright for him. At number two, my number two offensive rookie is Justin Herbert, the quarterback out of Oregon playing for the Chargers. He has a he has 1,195 yards already, and this is only in four starts, by the way. He didn't start the year early on, so we got to remember that. And he's got a 68.8% completion percentage. That's higher than Joe Burrow who's at 65%. He's got nine touchdowns to three interceptions. That's more touchdowns and less picks than Joe Burrow as well. And he's got a 73 QBR, which is a higher QBR than Joe Burrow, who's only at 49.8. He's also got 55 yards rushing with a rushing touchdown. And what I've liked from Herbert is the poise, the maturity, and he's got a rocket arm. I said coming out of this draft, when we did our draft breakdowns on Pint Glass Football Podcast, we broke down all these guys' games. And when I looked at Herbert, this guy checked every box physically in this class. Some people argued that Joe Burrow and Tua might have been the more polished prospects. Some people thought maybe they had the higher ceiling. You can make all those arguments for those guys, certainly. But what, I've, what I loved about Herbert coming out of this draft was his poise and maturity and his experience. He was a four-year starter at Oregon, so he came into the league with a ton of experience under his belt, playing in a big-time conference, playing in a lot of big-time games, a Pac-12 champion, a Rose Bowl champion, and he's really shown it right from the jump for the Chargers. He's been a leader for this team. He's given them a spark, and they haven't won a lot of games yet. They've been in a lot of close games and haven't figured out how to win just yet. But if you look at a lot of great quarterbacks in the league, they've got a similar story. Peyton Manning went 3-13 and his rookie year, went on to become one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. So I think winning will come for him, and I think they'll figure out how to finish these games off as he matures. But you can't ignore what you see on the field, and that's a guy – who can make every throw. He's been really dialed in, and he is really going to be a playmaker for a long time for them. I love the size, the athleticism. I love that he can move around in the pocket, throws a beautiful deep ball. He's really good on his play-action pass. That's one thing that people don't really talk about. It's kind of a nuanced thing. A lot of rookies come in the league, and they don't know how to sell that play-action pass because they don't do it a lot at the college level. A lot of these college quarterbacks come in from spread offenses, and they don't really uh, develop that under center play action pass. But Justin Herbert has it down and he really sells it well for a young player. 
really impressed with what I've seen from Justin Herbert. Now, don't get me wrong. Burrow's been great. It's not a knock on Burrow at all. I think he's going to be a terrific player in this league for a long time as well. And we're going to have to see what happens with Tua. He's going to get his chance to start. I think everyone's excited to see what he can do. But I think Tua getting his chance to start, I think it has a lot to do with Herbert because I think the Miami Dolphins have to see just how successful Herbert's been. And I think it's putting some pressure on that Dolphins organization to get Tua out there maybe a little earlier than they expected because they're seeing how good Herbert is. And he was on the board when they took Tua. So Tua better be good. Let's put it that way because Herbert has really been good. And at number one, my number one offensive rookie has been Clyde Edwards-Alaire. This kid has been absolutely outstanding. 505 yards rushing, second most in the NFL right now with an awesome 4.7 yards per average carry, 21 catches for 177 yards. He's on track for a 1,300-yard rushing season. Just incredible, the balance that he's brought to this Chiefs offense. He's the perfect player for this offense. He's the perfect fit for this offense. When he got drafted, I made the comparison to Brian Westbrook. If you guys remember Andy Reid's uh, time back in Philly, when that Donovan McNabb and Brian Westbrook and they were going into those deep playoff runs seemingly every year, Brian Westbrook was such a key part of that offense. And it's something that as great as this Chiefs offense has been, the running game has never really had a guy like that with Andy Reid's offense with Kansas City. Well, now they do because Clyde Edwards-Solaire is the real deal. Now, I know they brought in Le'Veon Bell. I think that's more of just to add some depth to the running back room. This is his offense, or this is his backfield, I should say. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire isn't going anywhere. This kid is the perfect fit, can catch the ball out of the backfield, like I said. He's really he's really got good hands. He's a shifty, uh, shifty good player who can get in between the tackles. He can get on the outside. He's got good speed. I've been so impressed with what I've seen from him in just a home run draft pick by the Kansas City Chiefs. So I'm excited to hear who your top three are, Aaron. What do you what do you got on your top three offensive rookies? Okay. Uh, I, I like those three picks, but on my three, I have uh, James Robinson from Jacksonville. I am impressed with a guy that came with, was undrafted and took over Week One as their starting running back, who makes excellent cuts, and he is on a good run for being a very solid running back who can actually catch the ball. And he's not one of the running backs that it goes down after you tackle. He keeps pushing forward. He's uh, 85th in the tenths, 12th in the league, 362 yards with 16th in the league with three touchdowns and is averaging a 4.3 in the average run. I think that's one of the, uh, the positive things coming out of Jacksonville. There's not a lot going Positivity going in Jacksonville right now, but that is my number three. And my number two is C.D. Lamb, who has been an excellent addition to the Dallas Cowboys, who is definitely a luxury draft because they did have very talented receivers at first, but adding him to the offense, he can be in your slot. He can be outside. He's one of those. He's an excellent route runner as well. And then that solid at that great addition to the Dallas Cowboys offense and, and it'll be a big time future for this, for this offense. 
And my number one is Justin Jefferson out of LSU, who plays for Minnesota, with 28 receptions, 537 yards, three touchdowns, and his fifth in yards per game with 19.2. And who is the number one receiver right now for for the Minnesota Vikings with him at Thielen. After they lost Stephon Diggs, this is a good replacement as a receiver for the Minnesota Vikings. I think all three of these guys are have very good careers in the NFL, and this this draft has just been an amazing one for it. Yeah, it's, it was an, an amazingly deep draft at wide receiver. That's something that my co-host and I, Chad Smith, we talked about on our podcast. We, we did a lot of draft breakdown uh, coverage. We did a mock draft, and we, we graded each division and each individual team in the NFL and really took a look at some of their top picks and then looked at their games closely. And that was something that we kept coming back to is this was just a loaded, loaded wide receiver draft. When I, when you look at some of these guys, they weren't even the first receivers taken. The three receivers that we just mentioned, Aaron, none of them were the first receiver taken. They all had guys that went above them. Chase Claypool, my guy that I put on the list, he had 10 guys taken in front of them. Now, a lot of those guys are going to pan out and be really good players. Don't get me wrong. But it just goes to show you the incredible depth at wide receiver in this class. I think it was one of the deepest wide receiver classes we've ever seen, certainly in a very long time. But I like your picks there a lot. I think Justin Jefferson has been outstanding. I had a really hard time not putting him on my list. Like I said, there was a lot of this, with this rookie class, there was a lot of guys that you can make a strong case for as top three players. So many players that have made big impacts for their teams. And for me, like I said earlier, when you look at Jefferson C. Lamb, they have the better numbers right now. But for me, I'd look at it as, is, was there any GM right now that would take those guys over Chase Claypool? I think gun to your head, I don't think you would. And I, and I say that just because this guy has been so big, explosive, and is coming on so strong in the last couple of weeks, I think he's only going to get better. I think he's a guy that's going to have a monster, monster year by the time it's over. But I love your picks. I can't argue with those at all. And I love the undrafted uh, James Robinson pick. I, I think that's a great pick by you because he is a guy who's really made a big impact there for Jacksonville. He's been a really solid, steady presence for them at a position that they really needed. And, yeah, Jacksonville hasn't been great. A lot of these teams haven't been great. I mean, yes, the Chiefs have been great with Edward Solaire. We knew that. But a lot of these guys, when they draft these top picks, a lot of them are getting on teams that aren't very good. So it's not shocking to see a rookie on a bad team that's that's playing well. But, yeah, I, I really like what I've seen from him as well. He's been a little under the radar, unless you play fantasy, because those the fantasy guys definitely know who he is. But – He's been a guy who nationally, I should say, has been a little under the radar, but has been a fantastic running back for them. So I like that pick by you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so in our last section, we're going to talk about the defensive rookies of this. So who's your top three? Well, this one was kind of difficult as well. There's been a lot of really good rookies in this class. Maybe not as many top guys on the defensive side as there has been offensive players. But the three guys that really stood out to me, I'm going to start with my number three guy, and that's Chase Young. Now, he's dealt with some injuries. He missed weeks three and four. And if you look at his stats, 
they don't really jump out at you. But when you watch his tape and you watch his game, there's a lot to like about this guy. He he doesn't, like I said, doesn't blow you away with the stats. He's only got two and a half sacks, 10 tackles, but he's clearly been a big difference maker. He's drawing a lot of double teams. He's getting a lot of quarterback pressure. He's getting in the backfield. He's been really disruptive. I think the ceiling is really, really high for Chase Young, a guy who was the number two pick in the draft, a spot that a lot of people thought maybe Washington, looking back now, maybe Washington should have taken a a quarterback there. And it'll be interesting to see what kind of career he has because right now Herbert having the type of, of season he's having, and we're about to see what Tua can do here soon. If those two guys go on to become really high-level, Pro Bowl, you know, all-pro type of quarterbacks for their careers, this could be one of those guys where you look at and you say, okay, Chase Young was great. He might be uh, one of those guys like a J.J. Watt. He could be a guy who's a defensive player of the year, a multiple-time player, defensive player of the year. He could be a guy who could be an absolute star at his position. But if you look at a guy like J.J. Watt, hasn't really had a whole lot of success as far as playoffs and victories. And that's because for a long time, they didn't have the quarterback or the pieces around him. As good as you can be as a, as a defensive end, you could be the, de- the best defensive end or best defensive tackle in the world, but you can't win games with just that guy. You, you have to have your quarterback. We know that. It's the most important position in all sports. And so looking back now at Dwayne Haskins, already not panning out in Washington. That was a spot where I think we're going to look back at this draft, and it's going to be fascinating to see how we look at it historically. If, like I said, Herbert and Tua Tua end up being as good as I think they could be. But with that being said, from a defensive rookie, he's got to be on the list for me because he's been so disruptive. You can see the ceiling is so high for this guy. As long as he can stay healthy, he's been dealing with some injuries, like I said, but a guy that I really I still have a lot of high hopes for because you can see it on tape just how productive and, and disruptive this kid can be. At number two, and I had a hard time with my number one and two. I went back and forth on who was one and who was two. But at number two, I've got Patrick Queen, the linebacker for the Baltimore Ravens. This kid has been really incredible, Aaron. 44 tackles, two sacks, two forced fumbles. When you watch the tape, he just flies around the field it seems like every time they're clearing the pile at the bottom of the pile is Patrick Queen just an absolute tackling machine a guy who I cannot believe fell as far as he did in the draft once again a guy that we broke down on our podcast talking about all these linebackers I had him as my number one linebacker in this class and he certainly is proving me right so far Aaron because He has been a huge, huge difference maker. The Baltimore Ravens have only taken a linebacker in the first round two other times prior to Patrick Queen, and that was Ray Lewis and C.J. Mosley. Both those guys went on to become really, really great players, as we know. Patrick Queen looks like he's going to be the next great linebacker for the Baltimore Ravens. He's just such a sure tackler, very explosive tracks the ball extremely well, can get sideline to sideline with his speed and ability. I've been very, very impressed with Patrick Queen. I think he's definitely right up there on the short list of guys for defensive rookie of the year. And at number one, 
I've got Antoine Winfield Jr., a guy who slid into the second round and had first-round talent. I think the only reason he slid in this draft was because he was slightly undersized and he had dealt with some injuries in college. I think those were the only reasons because if you look at the rest of his game, he checked every single box you could ask for. He's been incredibly versatile. He kind of reminds me of a Tyron Matthew. He plays safety, but he can line up at the slot corner. He can cover deep, but he can blitz. He can play in the box and play the run. He, he can get after the quarterback. He's got good hands. He can pick it off. This guy was the defensive rookie of the month for September, and he has been a huge, huge difference maker for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a guy who really, when you look at his lineage with his father, Antoine Winfield, Senior, a guy who played in the league for a long, long time at a very high level. When you look at him coming in, it's really no surprise that this kid came in and, and acted and played like a professional from day one. He knew what it what it was going to take to be a pro in the NFL because of his dad. He knew how to study tape. He knew how to break down offenses. So this is a guy who came in with a lot of maturity and a lot of ability, and his size has definitely not held him back at all. That's why I like the Tyron Matthew comparison. Matthew slid in draft as well. Actually, I think Matthew actually went undrafted, but regardless, if you look at a guy like that, a lot of people question him coming out of LSU because of his size. They said, yeah, he's a great college player, but you know, is his size going to hold up in the NFL? Well, he certainly has. He's been an outstanding player in this league for a long time now. I think Antoine Winfield is the next player like that that we're going to look back and say, how in the world did this guy fall to the second round? He easily should have been the first safety drafted, and he has been a really, really good one so far for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But I'm excited to hear who you've got, Aaron, at your top three. I appreciate it. I I like the comparison with Antoine Woodfield. He's definitely a guy that I'm still baffled how – how he he dropped it just basically on his size and those injuries, but you could look on the film in Minnesota that he was a great player from the jump. But my top three players is my third is Jalen Johnson, corner out of Chicago, who's definitely been a good addition beside him and Kyle Fuller. I definitely think he's going to be a good corner for that team. And then at my number two is Antoine Winfield Jr., who you broke down, who can play the free safety. He can play strong safety. He can play slot. They have much of free safety, but he can play versatile roles. He's not the biggest guy, but his, his dad was a very good player in the NFL, so he knows what to do, how to, like you said, in film room and what he needs to do, tackling, cover, everything. He He's got it all. He's a rookie, but he's going to have a, definitely a great career in Tampa. And my last, my number one pick is Patrick Queen out of Baltimore, who also another player you broke down, who was excellent in coverage and is just a tackling machine as well. Versatility. He's not the biggest guy, but that doesn't mean anything because he can play. He can ball. And that is my top three <laughs> defensive rookies. Yeah, I you know, the guy that you said there <clears throat> that I wanted to touch on really briefly was Jalen Johnson. He was a guy that I really had a hard time keeping off this list. 
I thought about putting them in there instead of Chase Young. For me, similar to my Chase Claypool pick, you know, might maybe don't have the biggest numbers right now, but I still see the upside when I look at those two guys. So that's why I had Chase Young there. But yeah, I really like what I've seen from Jalen Johnson, the guy that came out of Utah. Utah is a team that had a ton of NFL players drafted. I think they had eight guys off that defense that got drafted. It's amazing how many guys went into the NFL from that team. But he's been ranked among one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL. He's been essentially a shutdown guy. And that Bears defense has been awesome this year, and he's been a huge, huge part of it. I was high on him coming out, a guy who slid a little bit in the draft as well. But I I think he has been a huge addition for the Chicago Bears. I loved your pick of him. I had a really hard time keeping him off my list. Looking back, maybe I should have. But, yeah, great pick by you because he's a guy that a lot of people aren't talking about for defensive rookie of the year, but I think he certainly should be in that conversation. Yes, I appreciate that. Pick. I think the thing is people look into the stats and not look at the, the game film. And when you actually look at him, you'll definitely see why he was in my top three. But I, I thank you for being on the podcast and I'm going to let you out of Florida to talk about your social medias and where they can follow you at. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on again. Always love being on the show with you guys, the SLA Network. And, yeah, my name, once again, for you guys is Brad Fowler. I'm the host of Pint Glass Football Podcast. I do a weekly show with my co-host, Chad Smith, where we break down NFL college games. We recap games. We preview games. You name it, basically anything and everything that has to do with NFL and college football, betting lines, we talk fantasy. So we cover it all for you guys. It's kind of your one-stop shop for football talk. And if you want to follow us on social media, it's at PGF Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as well. The website is pintglassfootball.com. Would love for you guys to check it out. And once again, thank you, Aaron. Always a blast to be on the show. We'll have to do it again sometime here soon. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. And thank y'all for listening to the SLN Chill podcast. I hope y'all have a great day. Peace.